guys for those that stuck around thank you Tucson for you know talking to people she's off today everybody's off today this is the last Saturday show of 2023 <sighs> so many Saturday shows I remember when we started this it was out of a necessity I can't remember who it was who was that guest was it Norm Norm we had been doing Saturdays by then huh can't remember who the guest was, but we had to do a Saturday show. I said, Pascal, we should have had a Saturday show. It's like, I don't know, man. <laughs> so here we are. Three years later of the Saturday shows, of course, four years total with TIR. And I finally got the video file of the live show. I haven't watched it. I just checked it to see if it worked real quick. And it worked. Usually how this, this program works, you can upload videos and it'll just play on its own, which is what I wanted to do. Um, but of course, as fate would have it, didn't work out that way. So I'll, I'll introduce it. Uh, we had a book launch party for basically this is an extended essay that I wrote a while back that I self-published actually. Um, but that essay actually got quite a bit of traction. Um, I was on the majority report. Sam Cedar liked it a lot and interviewed me. I think it was one of the episodes of the year a few years ago, but, um, Alfie, I don't know if he's still a sublation, um, has his own small publishing house and he publishes these small pamphlets and he asked me if I had anything, even something that was older. And I was like, you know, there's this thing that I wrote that I really, really liked. I said, take a look at it. And he goes, I love it. I love it. Let's put it out. I love it. I love it. 
So since it's about music that, um, I guess I wouldn't necessarily say I played, well, I guess I played a version of, of hardcore punk music more on the on the metal spectrum me personally if you really want to split hairs on genre it's all distorted guitars at a certain point um and i have all these friends i lived in a warehouse for years in west oakland where all of my heroes um and influences rehearsed and recorded and over the years i had spoke to them about their times in the scene and I had asked a lot of questions, very inquisitive, you know, kind of the basis of, of what we have here. Um, I took some pictures of actually where I wanted originally to do a show because we had like a little bar stage set up right by where my room was. Um, and I always wanted, that's why I had so many fun, unrecorded interview sessions with some of the people that you will see um, in this video. Um, it was a, it was a fun it was a fun event. Um, a friend of mine uh, just purchased a house in the San Francisco Bay Area. He's a guitar tech to a lot of the bands that uh, I grew. We both grew up listening to you know, Slayer and Exodus and Testament and all these guys. Anyway, or a guitar luthier, he fixes their guitars and and he's been fixing mine for years. And he says, "Why don't we do this event at my place?" So. He has this really cool room that he calls his jam room where him and his wife actually <laughs> practice and play. Um, and there's a wall of guitars behind us. And I would love for you guys to guess whose guitars they are because they all belonged. They were gifts, I believe, from different players. So it's some people's signature models, stuff like that. I think if you look close enough, you can see my amp that Greg has now. Um, so that's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> Kush looks as Jason. Looking. <laughs> I, di I didn't get any bed, bath, and beyond for Christmas. You know what I got for Christmas? My daughter gave me the kind of the nicest gift ever. My daughter, who's 25, took all the photo albums from my grandmother's house and from her mother and I and I hadn't seen some of these pictures for Jesus 20 plus years so it was kind of cool to look at actual photos at a time where we weren't taking pictures for the world we just took them for ourselves I guess um and then you know what I was so thin it's like oh but this was a fun event, and thank you for everybody that uh, bought a ticket and came out. So, um, so as you can imagine, there there wasn't much of a green room. And my friend actually did make a – Greg made a cool little green room and had, you know, a catered – his brother-in-law is a, is a chef, so it was, like, all catered and everything. It was actually really, really cool. Um, he had valets parking, parking cars and helped people park. It was, it was a very top-notch uh, event. Um, there's a Q&A at the end. I believe that should be all in the in the recording. Uh, Scott Parkin showed up to the event. Um, some of the members of Bitter Lake showed up to the event. And definitely for those that stuck around, they got to hear some Bitter Lake fun road tour stories. I don't believe that's on the recording because this was kind of cameras that shut off. And we were just 
hanging out afterwards. So it was it was a it was a real cool time. I hadn't seen uh, some of my my bitter like bandmates in Jesus. I hadn't seen Morgan in at least three years. So this was a, a really cool event. I hadn't seen the guys on the stage with me in at least three years. Um, and they had some really good insights on what the scene was for them. Um, the punk and hardcore scene. So, uh, we talk a little bit about protesting as well in this, um, Ben Burgess was there. He introduced the whole evening Had some very, very, uh, nice words to say. So, oh, and his dog is there. Lucy was there stealing the show as usual. Um, so again, thank you guys to everybody that showed up. Thank you to everybody that's, that's purchased the book. It's on its second pressing. It just sounds crazy. Um, and also there's the thing I do every, every Christmas for the last three years now, I release an EP and I call it black Christmas. It's double on time. I get it. Um, and the third volume is now out. It's all, and I put it on Spotify. I never do that. So you can, you can listen to it all. Good times. So let's cue this up. I'm going to refill this coffee. And hopefully the sound works. Watch it not play. Just my luck. You consider yourself trash? Damn it. All right. Tell us when you want us to, to go. I can't see a fucking We're thing. We're set and ready to go. All right. And just briefly, uh, Greg had got a whole team of people to set the room up with. I think there was three or four cameras. And as you can see, we all had mics. And, uh, and Ben Burgess did not talk into his mic at all. <laughs> um, but yeah. So um, I believe they edited everything. So it's going to be different camera. Like I'm really excited about watching this video with you guys. Let me know what you think. Uh, ben and I want to do more stuff at this location because it is actually so cool. Um, we can stay at Greg's house. so We don't have to pay for hotels. You know, leftist media is not where the money is, kids. Um, and you know, we can interview more people. Greg was super stoked and he, you know, started rattling off a list of, of uh, band guys to interview. So if you guys like this kind of stuff and you want to see more of it, just say the word and, uh, and definitely 2024 can be, not wouldn't say filled, but maybe once every other month, we could do one of these um, fun get togethers, invite a, a live audience. So I will shut up now and roll tape. What's up? Well, welcome everyone to the fucking book launch thingy. Yeah. yeah. The book launch thingy. Yeah. Yeah. We love the book launch thingy. Thank you guys for coming out. Uh, ben Burgess is going to say some words to introduce the, the book launch thingy. Yeah. No, I came in from LA. They told me there was a uh, emergency. There was a critical shortage of uh, divorced middle-aged kind of side characters. <laughs> And voila! <laughs> <laughs> That's good shit right there. Yeah, I'll, uh, 
I see it's being recorded. I'll tone down what I plan, but uh... don't, please don't, <laughs> please don't. It'll be on my channel, so oh, okay. anything goes. Yeah, it's fine. I've, I've been on I've been on Jason's channel and uh, done in-depth analysis of a TikTok video about uh, by this lady very earnestly explaining why uh, gangbangs are liberated. So, yep. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm, yeah. I'm not going back. Yeah. Oh, uh, <laughs> That's what I do for a living, Chris. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if, if you want to clear about the nature of his job now, now you're good. Yeah. Um, yeah. How's everybody doing? Good. Good? Yeah. That's what I got. Thanks for coming. Yeah, seriously, thanks so, for coming. So uh, we are here because of this man, Jason Miles, writer, podcaster, musician, my best friend, mm. and his brand new, I was a teenage anarchist. And I am genuinely excited that this thing is out. I get to hold it, physical copy, in my hands. Uh, this is a big deal. This is a big moment. Um in uh, the story of Jason, <laughs> and uh, I am always genuinely excited when I get to read some of Jason's writing, which um, you know more people are able to. It's inflation now in Damage Magazine, moving up in the world. Yep. Uh, and uh, but I think this is really an area where he is just now starting to. Hit his stride. This is a guy who has built up significant audiences over the years, different overlapping audiences as a very prolific and touring musician, uh, as a talk show host. This is Revolution, which he built up from nothing. Mm -hmm. That was, he was recording that thing in his break room. <laughs> and, uh, and now there are a bunch of people who work on it, uh, who do stuff. Uh, for different nights on his channel, who argue about what gets to go on one night, and you know, and who gets to be uh, who gets to be on the show and who doesn't. There are thousands of people who either watch live in some cases, or listen later on podcast feeds, or watch on YouTube, watch on Spotify, um, every single episode, and there are a lot of episodes, <laughs> and uh, and they do that for a reason, right? Because they know there's going to be some humor, there's going to be some flash, but they also know that there's going to be something that they want to hear, that there's a perspective that's going to be different from what they might get in, um, in other places. And, you know, this is also why I am excited to start to see Jason uh, come into his own as a writer, because, you know, if you think about it, you know, I've been lucky enough to get to... Uh, be one of the first people to read a lot of his drafts of uh, things that he's written in the last year, help to you know work, you know make them what they can be, and if you think about what makes somebody a writer, like a real writer, somebody you'd want to read, um, some of that obviously is um, is about prose style, it's about the sentences and the paragraphs and uh, the way you're drawing people in uh, stylistically, and of course that <coughs> matters. Um, but that's not the thing that matters most, right? Because ultimately, anybody can learn to do that. Uh, just chain yourself to a keyboard and spend <laughs> enough time writing, and eventually, you are going to get better at that. And again, it's a thing you want, but you know there are many, many people in the world who have that, who are like just 
the most empty-headed PMC dipshits on God's <laughs> green earth uh, who have, you know, writing degrees and, you know, and, and can put sentences and paragraphs together uh, like nobody's business, but ultimately, you know, who cares? Um, what you actually care about is somebody who has a perspective, who has something to say, a way of seeing the world that he's going to share with you and invite you into. And Jason has that in spades. Uh, and it comes out of experience. This is a guy who has been everywhere and done everything. And you could play a game, you know, name that city. Um, Des Moines, Iowa. Fairfield, California, <laughs> Rio de Janeiro. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's, uh, and not only would he be able to tell you where the best burger place is and which parts of, uh, you know, which parts of town are going to have shitty traffic and you want to drive around them, but he's going to have some story about, uh, about going there. And, you know, most likely it's going to be from his years crisscrossing the country as a touring musician. Uh, and it'll be something like, oh, yeah, you know, me and the band were staying in this hotel. And, uh, yeah, it was a little it was a little sketchy. We almost got into a fight with this guy who was selling drugs in the hallway. But, uh, <laughs> but then it was cool. We hung out with him. He was uh, well, he did, he did tell a story about killing a guy once. I went in like that. But, they, uh, you know, other than that. That's, right? that's a Jason tour story. That's it was, fair. Uh, yeah. It was fine, right? Uh, but it's not always going to be that. Sometimes it's going to be some story that will start out like, oh, yeah, well, you know, during, um, you know, during the years when I was working as a realtor, you know, I spent like six weeks there. <laughs> Do you have your license? <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> Somehow, just like about the same time I have, Jason has managed to pack a couple of more lives in there uh, than I have or most people that I know have. And, uh, and he has developed this perspective out of it. Now, you can go to a lot of places and see a lot of things and still come out of it just as dumb as you were before. That certainly happens. But uh, if you aren't noticing the right things, if you aren't asking about things, if you aren't thinking about things, but Jason is somebody who's going to consistently notice and ask and think. And what comes out of that is a perspective that has some sharp edges to it. Uh, it has an element that could be mistaken for cynicism. I remember our friend C. Derek Vaughn uh, once after reading one of Jason's essays joked that he was like a version of Adorno who would not have called the cops on the uh, protesters. <laughs> uh, which, uh, that last part is important. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes. Because, uh, because the thing, the thing nice that you can mistake for cynicism isn't really that. Because even if there is a, a hard-won realism, a sense of how things work, uh, an ability to cut through bullshit, it is ultimately grounded in an understanding that things could be better. And, um, and leaving open space for the possibility that they will be better. And you know, people, people will do better. That, uh, that, grounds the, uh, that grounds the whole thing, whether he's writing about you know, music, culture, politics, horror movies, I'm sure that's coming. <laughs> Definitely. It emerges in all of those contexts. Now, I did not know Jason. He was a teenage anarchist. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a title. They have a, uh, you yeah. understand where you got it from. Don't step on the line. Uh, no, I have, I have, well, when you're done, I have to. I, I did yes. not know Jason. 
What is a, uh, as a teenage anarchist, I have only known him uh, for a few years, but I think in that time, I've gotten to know him pretty well. Uh, spent six months uh, living two units down in uh, the San Partment block in Rosarito in Baja, California. And uh, I've known him for a few years since then. And uh, we've done a lot of things together. We have done live shows together in New York and Los Angeles. Uh, I have... Uh, I have sat on his couch uh, watching a million sketchy uh, slasher movies. <laughs> and, uh, I have um, I have heard a million of these stories that uh, that I've been talking about. I have sat, for example, at the uh, Rabbit Cafe in Rosarito. Uh, there are actual rabbits uh, running around there. Jason knows where this is going, mm -hmm, but uh, mm -hmm. there are actual rabbits running around there. Rabbit Cafe uh, with Jason and my younger brother Dave. Uh, as we were listening to Jason tell an elaborate and involved story about a sexual encounter gone very wrong. It's horrible. Uh, and uh, just sitting there uh, laughing our asses off, and uh, Jason is whatever else he is, a natural storyteller, so he is he is sparing no detail. He is, uh, he is pantomiming. I had to mime it. Gestures had to mime it. like this, uh, and... We are rolling on the floor. Now, I do wonder a little bit about the nice Mexican families who are sitting around us, you know, drinking coffee and talking to their loved ones. Uh, you know, a lot of them don't speak English, but a lot of them do. Um, but then I thought, you know, this is a man who um, people, so many people tune in to hear him talk. Uh, they do that live on YouTube. They uh, they do it later. They'll buy tickets from other parts of the country to uh, yeah. to go see uh, to go see podcast live shows. Yeah. And so you know, any of uh, any of these nice wholesome Mexican people sitting around us uh, who uh, who did understand that story, you know what? We should be charging them. <laughs> this is an extra extra premium bonus feature. That you are getting an IRL surround sound, three-dimensional version of Jason Miles being very funny and showing you a little bit of how he sees and experiences the world around him. And that is what we are here to do. So with no further ado, let us hear from the man himself, my friend, Jason motherfucking Miles. Thank you. Thank you, Ben <laughs> Thank you very much. I had no idea, because Ben joked and said, I was just going to say, well, here's Jason, move out of the way. I, I wanted to be real quick, because I didn't really want to make this, this is going to sound stupid, I didn't want to make this about me. Um, originally, when I wanted to do this, I wrote this thing because I love heavy music. And there's people on this stage, there's people in this audience that I've actually toured, got stamps on the passport with. My, my amp is sitting over there. Um... These guys on the stage don't know this, but what I do today with my podcast has a lot to do with the music that I listen to as a very young person. And these guys kind of shaped my musical tastes, my attitudes towards the world. Um, I'm sorry for that, dude. <laughs> so you're saying we're old, right? Is what, what you're no, saying? you know what? I, I'll be like, I'll be totally honest. Like, uh, 
I, I got to live in this. If you've watched my show, you've heard me say this a million times. I lived in this warehouse in West Oakland called Soundwave Studios, and it's where I met a lot of these guys. Never where heard I, of it. This where, <laughs> this is where I met Greg Day, whose house we're in right now. Chris Contos was was jamming in in a in a room behind me. That's where I got to meet him and pick his brain. Uh, Chris and Craig, knowing they were going to be here, I was like, we're fine because I've, I've picked these men's brains, mined the data for years, unbeknownst to them, um, writing all kinds of stuff that sadly I lost on the internet. Um, but when I was a kid. I never told this to Craig LeCicero, who's on stage right now. When I was a kid, I would not eat lunch, and I would go, I'd walk to Blockbuster Video, and they had a section of music videos, and there were one of these called, I think it was called Hard and Heavy. Oh, my God. <laughs> and they had a Bay Area edition of Hard and Heavy, and I've rented that thing so many times. Sick. And, and one day... And I know these guys don't even realize this. One day, <clears throat> there was a benefit for somebody. And I don't, Craig, you might have been there. I don't know if you were there at this time, Chris, but it was a benefit for Sean Killian. Oh, yeah. Remember no. that? Remember yeah. that? Talking about the one that was just a few years back. A few years back. Yeah. And to get to my room, there was this oh, large stage room where these guys were all rehearsing in. And literally, it was that video that I watched as a kid thinking, dude, these are the coolest people in the world. And I opened the door and they're all there. There was like, it was like down there like in between songs or something like that. And it's everybody that I saw when I would get the, the, the metal magazines with the, the Columbia house thing with all the bands that I wanted to, to get. My mom definitely wouldn't let me get it because she knew that I was going to, you know, not pay for it because I didn't have a job. I was like 11. Um, <laughs> All these dudes were in that room, and I walk in, because I didn't know they were practicing, and they're like, hey, Jason, what's up? Oh, this is Jason. What's up? And, like, a little part of me tried to be cool, but I was, like, a not because I'd known him at this point, but I I walked to my room. I said, I think Jeff Gomes was there, Tom Hunting, we are all talking, and I walked to my room, and I just sat there and went, all my heroes are in the room and they just said hi to me. <laughs> so I wrote this thing because I felt like there's these, there's this culture of authenticity that exists within certain genres of music. And I definitely saw it in heavy music and I definitely felt it sometimes because I felt like I didn't fit within a certain paradigm of what people wanted to see to justify that they could like it. Right. Because sometimes you look a certain way. We don't want to admit that. Right. And I, I felt like also, too, I was attracted to music that has this part of the culture of deconstruction. So the culture of no. Right. F the world, F the system, F the man. And in my young 11 year old mind, the revolution change, everything was going to come through a song. Life showed me otherwise right i found out that you know hippies didn't stop vietnam the viet cong had a lot to do with that right uh you know uh, <laughs> uh berets and leather coats you know didn't didn't stop the war um so 
this idea, I start to kind of ask more questions. Again, to some of the people on the stage that they have no idea, I'm always, again, always picking their brains, asking about different times in the scene. And there's other, there's tons of people that were in and out of the studio. And then uh, I started talking with another friend of ours, a guy named Toure Reed. Um, and he started connecting me with different academics that were punk rockers that had wrote like these theses on this shit. And I was like, really? You wrote a whole thesis on punk? That's cool, I guess. And But when I was reading this stuff, it was really helping me kind of hone in my point, which was these two cultures of uh, deconstruction and authenticity always work against each other to make sure that your movement never really grows outside of a small little milieu, right? Because you're always saying no to everything, and you're always judging someone. So you can't really get new membership in. And when you're against everything, what are you for? What is your utopian vision of the future that you offer people to want to be part of your club, right? The music that I enjoy is somewhat violent. I have a daughter that's here in this room right now. I'm sure she sees the things that go on at heavy shows. Like that. It doesn't seem like fun. I don't want to be a part of that. But it is fun. And I'm not condemning the music. Why would I condemn something I love? Why would I condemn something that's a part of me? I just used it as as uh, something to talk about for, for this the way we look at kind of movements today, right? We're seeing protests everywhere. Uh, I'm going to have Vincent Bevins on my show who just wrote a really great book about we were the most politically active in the 2010s than we've ever been in history. What changed? 2020 happened. Every city was on fire, right? What changed? Did police go away? Did crime go away? Did people stop getting shot by cops? None of that changed. But people went out in the street and they protested and they got mad and they it was a kind of a cathartic release almost. Right? So I kind of write these things to ask these deeper questions so we can we can attack these problems better, right? Maybe maybe ask better questions. Um, that's why I wrote this thing. And then I wanted to kind of have a party with a bunch of people that I really dig, <laughs> <laughs> and and ask them questions about. Do you do you have a question? Oh, dude, I have tons of questions for you, motherfucker. Let's do. Come on in. Come on in. It's not a library. I you know that's what that's what because I it's really the lights are really blinding in here so I feel like a failing comic right now, but <laughs> but, what, but 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 no like real talk the reason why these guys are up here is because I I think outside of cultures of deconstruction and authenticity if you guys want to ask questions to me about this or Ben we're gonna have some Q and A you guys ask away I'm fucking here for it. But what I think is cool too, we're in this dope ass room. We literally have heavy music royalty in front of us. People that were part of creating a whole fucking scene. <laughs> I, I don't I see, like I don't see Nero one. I can't see them, but they're there. Oh, Matt. Damn it, Matt. But, but what man. I. But what I want to do is I kind of wanted to have a fun a fun conversation with these cats because again they're from 
where I'm from. That's another thing that made the music hit with me on a personal level because these dudes were from the Bay, and they were saying hella, and they were wearing Raiders Oh, we shit. were saying hella. Oh, we were. Hella. No, so, we, uh, so Rick and I were not wearing Raiders shit just to be no, clear. No, Oh, sorry. Well, there's no problem with it, but just there is a difference. I'm speaking maybe more to the violence guys. Definitely the violence guys. Fair enough. And Chris, too. And Chris. <laughs> and Chris. Most, you know, it's just 50-50, man. But that's a whole other thing. But I want to ask, first and foremost, we'll start with you, Craig. What got you into heavy music? The Beatles. The Beatles? The Beatles. Helter Skelter. Really? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Swear to God. It was it was a moment where uh, you know, my parents had all the vinyl, and I was listen- I always listened to the records, but they never listened to side four of the White Album. Not, you know... Like side three and four with, you know, uh, you know, what is it, number nine and all that shit. Yeah. It just didn't really come up. And then I just was listening and I was like, what the fuck? It spoke to me. It was spoke to me. So that was my entry level was literally that. And then I have to backtrack because this is probably 1974. Mm-hmm. I might have been five mm-hmm. years old at the time, which... If you do the math, yes, that's right. <laughs> so, yeah, so that was my introduction, and uh, and and it just like I just tried to search out and find things. I never really found it. Uh, no, none of my friends really had access to anything but Kiss and you know the the normal Kiss in Kansas and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And I just had a couple other friends from further down the street, and they introduced me to uh, ACDC and Rush and like all this late '70s pile up shit and that was really like the awakening of there is music for guys like me there is something for people that want to uh rage against the machine so to speak as a kid <laughs> you know my dad is a history professor and my mom was uh, uh, you know worked for the health department so i had a different i was definitely the black sheep of, of the bunch mm-hmm. adopted as well so i, I stood out like mm-hmm. a lot mm-hmm. and i didn't fit in at all so that's where my you know, I, where I think these guys might have had a more musical background, I had none. I was the musical background. I made my own, blazed my own path. Uh, Rick. Yes, sir. Same question? Same question, bro. So, um, I started early on, and my, my background is funk and R&B. Um, that doesn't surprise me. I yeah, love that. So, I but love it's that. true. My, my parents listened to Elton John you know, Willie and Waylon and the Beatles, and I grew up to all that stuff, right? But but I was born and raised in Oakland, so uh, in North Oakland, and it was, that's all we listened to was like Parliament, Commodores, Heat Wave, Marvin Gaye, you know, just it goes on and on and on, um, until I moved to Concord with my mom, the, the whole divorce thing, whatever, but any, um, and then we left Concord, and I came back, and I got a skateboard, dude. And, uh, <laughs> and so, you couldn't listen no, to Parliament skate? No, no. Well, I did, of course I did, but really? that that opened, <laughs> the skate opened the door to the ACDC, <laughs> to the Van Halen one, you know, what I mean? ah. to, the, to the Judas Priest, to the Dio Sabbath, uh, all this, all the shit we, you know, all the shit we grew up on. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I think personally. Play playing wise, I think having that, that R and B and funk background was cool to to you know to to have that as a base for for the heavy. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So as a as a player, I don't know. It's, 
It's, it gets kind of crazy deep. <laughs> so, I can, yeah. I can see it. Well, it makes sense. Brother Contos? <clears throat> um, my path is kind of based on my dad was in the music industry. He was a songwriter, mm -hmm. singer-songwriter, producer, idol maker. He uh, worked at the Brill Building with mm. Becker and Fagan and Carol King. Mm -hmm. um, then he went on to discover the Shirelles and um, brought Dusty Springfield to the States for the first time in Damn. her career. Uh, worked with Dr. John, John Hammond. Damn. So <clears throat> my parents met in the music industry. I was brought up in the studio sitting on Rick Derringer's knee or whatever. So I was always in the studio, always around music. Mm. And uh, when my folks kind of divorced, uh, separated, uh, all of his records from music companies would still come to the house, the promo copies, the old uh, corner cut off the uh, side of the, or the gold stamp promotional use only. Mm -hmm. So my mom would like be pulling out Boss Gags and whoever, and I'm like, Alice Cooper Killers. <laughs> or the first Kiss album mm -hmm. or first Black Sabbath album, they'd be in there. And I was like stashing those and listening because I always had the, you know, the ability to play the stereo. Mm -hmm. I was allowed to put records on the stereo and play music. So um, that's kind of what kicked off my heavier direction. Then much like Rick, we moved to Concord uh, and um, there were skaters and that whole thing. And it is true that like skate punk comes way later. Yeah. yeah. You know, the whole Stacy Peralta vibe, that yeah. whole thing, that long haired kind of, it was still rock based. It was, you know, like you said, Priest, Van Halen, ACDC was huge in that, you know, yeah, you know, it was like rock first. Right. And then it molded into Devo and Black Flag and older brothers, you know, that having that lean and that just spoke to me, you know, as, as, uh, like you said, angry, deconstructed, uh, my mom and my grandmother were super politicos mm -hmm. and on top of stuff. So uh, I knew about Paul Pot and the Camer Rouge. Yeah. I knew about Franco. I knew about in what Spain. was going on in yeah. in Chile, you yeah. know, on point, you yeah. know, at the time. I was involved in the adult conversations as a kid. So as that music came at me, I was like, wow, okay, this is a definite correlation between, like you said, music can change the world, right? Yeah. Does it? Did it stop Vietnam, I mean, right? Like read, you were read, saying, is on the, point. If you guys read the book, I definitely Here say 84 is an, important, is an important year because 84... See? see, 84 is an important year because Reagan gets reelected, and it's yeah, kind of yeah. like your whole movement is against this ultra-conservative moment that's happening in the early 80s, and you you're so laser focused and we're going to defeat this Reagan Thatcherite conservatism. Yeah. And, and it was, you know, it was in our face too in the scene, right? Oh, we dude. had we had Feinstein uh mm. trying to, you know, close every single one of the clubs that we all were trying to come up in, you know. The Mabuhay, she was, right? And she was liberal. Oh, she was trying. It was like the yeah. beginning of all of it, really. Yeah. 83. Yeah. Seriously, that was like the yeah. beginning, dude. 84. Yeah. Yep, well, 84 is a huge year for it. It is. It, it, is. it, it was, was the very first political conversation I could ever remember having. I was uh, four years old. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I came downstairs. I'm sure I didn't know. In that jacket. 
<laughs> Damn it. Don't be ridiculous. I obviously had a smaller I'm sure I didn't know what an election was, but I remember like waddling down the kitchen and uh, my dad is like reading the newspaper and mm-hmm. I, I knew that there was a thing that somebody won, somebody lost, I guess. That much at least had penetrated. And I was like, oh, who won? And I, st- I still remember my dad just looking at me and he just had this expression of like utter like sorrow and disgust. <laughs> 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 and that was a re-election. So yeah. he, he, yeah. he had already done one term. And I think the other part of it that fueled all of what we're talking about here is that constant threat of fucking thermonuclear war. Absolutely. Oh, so, and if you listen yeah. to the lyrics, that's the really what it was about for most of us most thrash of guys. I think the punk guys were more on the tip of getting into the system, breaking it apart, 100%. corrupting it, rotting it from the inside. Metal guys are all fuck war, Satan. You know, so we. <laughs> it was no, a lot real. more simple, but. The guys weren't necessarily, you know what I mean? Well, like, I think that's, I think mess. that's, I think that's a big thing. Like coming from the hardcore punk scene, after I met my wife, you know, she was heavily connected to the Bay Area metal scene, and I was heavily connected to the punk scene. And something I have to say, and, and I'm not being like hard on anybody, but a punk rock party, mm-hmm. and you're sitting there with Dave MDC, mm-hmm. and you're talking about some seriously heavy shit. Mm-hmm. And then I would go to a metal party. And it was like, catch my snot. <laughs> let's, hit, let's hit that guy with a pan. Or, We're talking about you know, right now. You know, and it, Thank you, question, Paul. The question is, which one do you want to go to? Right. <laughs> well, both being, at both, being at both was kind of cool because I feel in a lot of ways, you know, I, I, I kind of got in some conversations where I actually found out that there was some depth there mm-hmm. underneath the Paul Bailoff mentality yeah. of, you know, that whole thing. And then did spur conversations and i did watch metal grow um because war is heavy <laughs> turned into like war is fucked right and you see that starting to happen but, like but what's interesting about that moment control. is yeah. that there's no war i mean you guys nobody was thinking about grenada but right. it was there there was the there's threat. always a it, CIA was the, the, it was the cold endeavor. war threat to be, to be totally fair i mean there are people they're like punk bands they're singing about nicaragua there's oh, no yeah. man, this is things about Nicaragua. still in the air, though, bro. I mean, because, I don't know, my dad wasn't in Vietnam, mm-hmm. but uh, it was post-Vietnam. Was, there was war. It was just not... Get this up here. <laughs> anyway, that's what we wrote about, dude. That's what we wrote about. Yeah. It was... It, watching that growth happen from, like, 82 to 90 was super cool to watch happen amongst the mentality of uh, of growth. And it wasn't just like, I saw something on CNN, that's heavy, I'm going to write about it. It was like some people were digging in, finally. Now, what – Now what? this is this is what was interesting for me. I, I remember I asked – who did I ask? Singer from Heathen, Dave? Dave. I asked Dave because wasn't he Dave blind White. Lose? Wasn't he in Blind Illusion? He was. Back in the day, we were talking about like before Metallica. Mm-hmm. I was like, what was the Bay Area like before Metallica? We always hear people talk about when Metallica what, came. Music-wise? Yeah, but you guys all existed, of course, before you knew what a James Hetfield was. What was that scene like? Because it's still. Oh, how are you guys? How are you guys? I can't. Going spe- from... I can't speak to this because I really didn't even get to a club show until uh, 1984. So this is. These guys were already in it by then. Okay, so, so but but it was like 
it was a pretty small amount of time before there was James Hetfield. Um, yeah, that's true. You know what I'm saying? It was like I don't we, even think James was James. Metal Mondays. James Hetfield wasn't Hetfield until he came to the Bay Area. Anyway, yeah, that's so what I mean. Like, yeah, take and, a minute. Thank you, Cliff. Yeah. yeah thank <laughs> you, Cliff. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I, I, I'm sure if James was here right now, he'd say the same thing. He, he may not. Um, but um, so it was old Waldorf, eighty. 82, 83. And uh, this is like when I just when I was going to see Anvil Chorus was my was my favorite band back then. And um, Griffin. And oh, Griffin was good. Griffin, Griffin was, was good. Griffin was badass. So I'm opening up for Exciter. Yes, right. Yeah, this is yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, yes. And there's there's a whole bunch of bands. Um, but everyone, it was everyone wore spandex at that point. Yep. I think all was there a sound that I you saw. would say was a Bay Area sound at that time, or were right, people no, just trying to sound not, like? No, not at that moment because mm-hmm. it was because we had the head-ons, we had the overdrives, uh, we had all the hair guys. Um, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That mm-hmm. were that, that had that, that were actually really really good musicians, dude. These bands were badass. Head-on okay. was a great great band, um, but they dressed in lace and their hair was this big and. They got all the cool chicks. <laughs> no, serious. And their clothes. Yeah, and their clothes. No, but they were really good. But th- this is like, there's there are different fronts when you say about the Bay Area scene. I mean, mm-hmm. so we're we're talking about the heavy scene. It wasn't really really dialed in yet, man. I don't think we it gets still trying to figure it out. I don't think it gets defined until crossover happens. Really, yeah, see was, what the, yeah. the period that you're talking about right yeah. now. It is not cool to have purple fucking hair in the metal scene. And it is not, not cool, cool to be some long-haired hasher at a punk, punk show. That's right. You're getting yeah. was, you're getting What is the up. band what is the band that crosses it over in your Okay, opinion? check this out. You're going to Go ahead. Well, okay. he was in one of so the main So there ones. was uh, the very the very my very second gig with Exodus was at Eastern Front. It was put on by Wes and Suicidal was on the bill. And I think in the, as far as the Bay Area is concerned, that's when, I mean, suicidal was suicidal. They weren't punk. They weren't metal. They were just suicidal. But they're, they're, they brought a whole bunch of fools up. But you them. remember it was two days. Two days. Right? Don't leave so, that slave. So you had Circle One the first day, one of the most violent, brutal punk bands from L.A., you know, so there was like the punk and the metal thing happened over well. two days because it wasn't cool yet. They kind of separated it, but everybody hung out. Mm, that was a trippy, right? It was trippy. That, that and the whole, fact that, that suicidal was on the second day made a Crossed lot of people hang out that was, from the that punk. Was really? Crazy. So yeah. you, so you would point to suicidal as the band for you? Because I've seen, remember, so my well, life on this is one pictures. of the bands. So I remember seeing a picture of like it was a show. I think it was in Berkeley. This had to be like 84, and I want to say it was Slayer. This is in the Bay. Outdoor stuff? That's yeah, it. outdoor That's stuff. That's what he's talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Front. Slayer was on That's that That's Eastern bill. Front. They headlined that gig. We yeah. played, I believe, right? It was on a big truck bed, a big semi-truck Yeah, that's what it looked like. Stage. Yeah. yeah, it was awesome. That's, that's, that's one of the most famous shows ever. Harold See, it happens here. That well. You know, it, yes, it, it happens here, you know? Um, yeah. Punks and, and metalheads finally stopped griping over haircuts because the music was all so dope. Right, so another big day was GBH played one day mm-hmm. and Motorhead played the next day up on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Everybody stayed, right? And mm-hmm. it was a clock. It was a cross thing happened there. Mm-hmm. And then Metalheads at, at Discharge or, 
you know, punks at Exodus vermin possessed Slayer. Yeah, um, they were tripping out know, because we were say, playing so fast. From, from what I witnessed, because this is all accurate, and from what I witnessed, the first shows where I felt like, and there was confrontation at first. Oh yeah. But where they started actually clicking for the most part was the farm. Those farm oh, yeah. shows. First it was fights, then it was like, bro, it, it happened over amount of time over some forty ounces and. A lot of growth, man. There was I some bravado. Some shit there. there was some bravado that helped it along, too. Because mm-hmm. I walk in with the two and a half foot mohawk. Yeah, you might feel like who's that freak, but you ain't saying shit. Right. <laughs> For real. Right? Yeah. Not to be a dick, but like, yeah, wrong guy. You know, yeah, it's not yeah. some skinny little wormy, different guy in a trench coat in the corner that you want to go bully because he's got green hair. You know, and there was starting to be a little bit of that. No one's fucking with Johnny Pute. Yeah, man. Right? And then the same kind of goes for uh, Chuck Billy walking up in pink spandex. Yeah. Fuck these poser motherfucker. Hey, Chuck. Yeah, well, see, that, that's the whole double you know, death patrol. Like, double yeah. death patrol. These guys look like, you know. <laughs> well, there was, there was guilt. It was guilt at first. Like right? yeah, pro wrestlers. There was Danny Gill. There, there was some stuff to where everybody was kind of like, hey, we may kind of be cool. Like, you know, like, yeah. get your ass beat if you say shit to them. Um. And that, did have I'm not going to deny that, you know, like you were saying, the whole yeah. violence thing, right? The, yeah. Not the ban, but violent, yeah. right? Um, that violent thing comes with intention, right? Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with contact, but it's about a prevailing energy or a prevailing intent, mm-hmm. what you're doing there. Mm-hmm. Some of the most violent pits I saw were smiles, and then that one guy in there doesn't have it on his face or he's not doing it right exactly right. so There's then split blap, you're he's, getting hit with yeah. the milk crate no, he's in getting, the pit he's getting dealt you know? with real quick you're getting quick. dealt with real quick real, and yeah. that was stb yeah you know that was the exodus row crew yeah that would handle that kind of shit mm-hmm. you know yep 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 um it's not Maybe. mean yep it's it's you know well, violent, it was but it's not back mean. then because there was what, what how the team started was uh on ruthie's it was andy anderson my brother lonnie and Toby Rage. Fucking, and there uh, was so many, the front row was so crazy, and the stage was like about this high. So, you know, you're standing up and you're right here. And um, it was so crazy that there were so many people on stage that our pedals were constantly getting unplugged and shit. Mm-hmm. So we had to have them like in front of us just to knock them off. Mm-hmm. And it, start, it started like, it started becoming like this, people would go to the shows just to, to try to get on stage and and get beat up, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's crazy. No, no, it's, I'm it, like it, it became it became a thing, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, let's go to the Exodus show, dude, let's go thrash, and it was a thing. I remember being at Ruthie's one time when we were at the bar, and this kid's coming walking towards me and Toby and a couple other people, and the one kid's got a big bandage on his nose, and it's stained with blood. Oof. And his buddy was huge, and they're walking dead-eyed at Toby, and Toby's like, oh, shit, what the fuck was that? What's this? So we're like all kind of like, I, I, I. And dude goes, Toby. And he, and his buddy's just looking at him, mouth breathing, just like, And we're like, oh, shit. And he goes, you broke my nose the other night in the pit. It was fucking awesome. Yeah. And you, you're like, you deflate. You're like, okay, this is weird, but cool. It was about. Right? Because, I mean, he got some release out of it. Yeah. You know, those, oh, everybody you look did. at that scar for the rest of your life in the mirror, and hey, it invokes a different vibe for him. It's a dance, you know? bro. It's, it's a, a dance. dance. Yeah. It's a dance. It's a yeah. definitely 150%. It's a dance. It might be a crazy dance. It might be as ridiculous as me looking at these hardcore kids doing that kung fu shit. 
That's some ridiculous shit. That is un unacceptable. Yeah, but it's, but it's a dance, right? <laughs> and look, they're getting what they need out of it, yeah, right? It's, I mean, it's, so it's a dance. Let them do it. Somebody out with their stupid no, but fucking move. If, if you yeah, don't, don't be in there. Out, you can't be there. That's that's, that's the whole thing with it. The, the yeah. Hardcore kids are about it, dude. They're like, if you don't want to get hardcore. hit in the face with a kick, you you shouldn't be there. That's just how it is, right? Well, let's. That's look, how it was back at, look, at home. Let's. I got. I got. Look. I. I have you a few a questions. questions for you. Yeah, yeah. I do. I do move. have a few questions because I know I have a time limit for some of you guys. Uh, He's got to go watch Formula One. At, it's on at ten o'clock. It's in Las Vegas. It's talking about There's oysters. Uh, what drew you? I'll be up. Uh, Chris, what drew you to the drums? What. Uh, Communication breakdown by really Led Zeppelin. Yeah. yeah, really. Yeah, and and also uh, uh, you know at the same time I was our you know Peter Chris. Yeah. Um, you could be that guy, like you know what I mean, like you know Keith Moon, but yeah, I would say communication breakdown. There was something going on there with that song. I was running around like a crazy person. I'm gonna I'm gonna take this moment to fanboy while you're here. Because it's amazing. Take this moment to fanboy while you're here. So Chris. Every so often, used to practice behind where I lived, um, and I didn't know who he was at first. But I knew you used to play with a friend of mine from high school. You used to play with Dave Rude. Yeah. Um, I discovered now Dave from Rude. Tesla. So, so I know now Dave from Tesla, but yeah. he was Dave from Albany, right? That I knew Dave, right? Thank you. Uh, and and so I I I kind of knew who you were, but I didn't know who you were, right? And and got to know you. One day you were you were playing something. You were rehearsing for something, and then you started playing. Um, yes, the trademark. And I lost my shit in my room. And I walked over, and I listened, because I was like, dude, this is the song that when I'm on tour. And me and Cindy are driving to some ungodly part of North America. And we have four hours to get there. And it's 2 a.m. I'm putting that. There's two songs I put on to wake up. It's And Ben knows this as he has driven with me. That or Roots. Oh, sick. So I have, to, I have to give you. We got to give Chris his props. Same, same we got to give Chris his props for that one. And, I, I, and, 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 that, and just for people that are like, okay, I don't know exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about uh, Davidian by Machine Head. And that totally characteristic, like nobody else plays it. And it's, see, I've had friends that have tried to play it. I played with some really great drummers in my life. But now I play with Chris. And only one person hits those notes that way. You can't. I, I just he don't know anyone else. He wrote it, yeah. but there are guys. We know guys who try to play it. Who, or no, they're, they're great, but they don't do it like him, man. Right. And I, I give him credit for having that trademark fucking drum fill. That's an iconic fill. I mean, again, I have to admit that the part of this is to uh, thank you to you people for you know making this music. We that... mean you people. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, crocodile Dundee. Hey. We haven't, even started the, we haven't even started the political section of this thing yet. Wow. Wow. <laughs> you got me on that one. Awesome. Craig, what brought you? <laughs> Craig, what, what drew you to the guitar? Oh, man. Well, you know, uh, I wanted, again, from my family, I, one thing I got to say about my mom, aside from her, the health department thing, is that she was also the president of the League of Women Voters oh, of uh, Las Vegas and Nevada. Mm-hmm. 
So I had a little bit of political, like pushing for equal rights, mm -hmm. always looking out for, you know, equality was a huge thing. She wasn't like a militant by any, she was an organizer. Mm -hmm. So, so my whole family did, I mentioned that no one played music, right? Mm -hmm. So we moved to the Bay Area. I have never got to play an instrument really, except for sit at somebody's piano or grab an acoustic guitar with a penny or something. And I'm like, I got to play something. I want to play drums. Drums are too loud. All right, well, can I play bass? And my stepdad had three kids who were in a band called The Soul Connection, mm -hmm. and they practice in his garage, though. Bass is too loud. It carries down the street. Can I play guitar? You can turn it down, right? Yeah. That's why I played guitar. <laughs> <laughs> so I, 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 went, I went down the line, and then I found what was right for me, and, I, you know, and so I, you know, that was my beginnings to guitar, and it, it was an immediate thing for me where, okay, this is right. I can... I heard riffs. I I heard songs. I was in Forbidden Evil before I was even. I had turned six. I was already 15 when I we we started Forbidden Evil. So I hadn't been playing for more than a year and a half by that time. And I had a guy like Rob Flynn who was incredibly well versed and a couple years ahead of me in playing mm. as my mentor. Mentor like El Duche. But yeah, he was like he was like you know kind of my mentor. What? Oh, oh, oh you look at your dog. Oh. Oh, uh, Lucy's awesome, by the way. I love your dog. Your dog. So that was my origin story. Rick. <laughs> yes, sir. Guitar. Uh, so I, I went before guitar. I played piano, um, and I played ragtime piano. Oh. I used to take lessons from this dude named Chuck Dutton up in uh, Kensington, Berkeley. Old drunk dude. Um, <laughs> and I, he, my, my grandma wanted me to, to learn how to read music, and I was like. Man, I can't. This this is crazy. This looks like gibberish. I didn't want to learn how to read music, dude. So I just like, and then I just I sold the piano that I had, and I bought a Univox Strat. And then the reason I play guitar is I have to. I had to, I got to give Eddie Van Halen credit for that. Oh yeah. He's he's the one that really got me stoked on the guitar for sure. When you heard Eruption or what? Yeah, all of the whole VH1, absolutely. Game changer. Blue, total. Was game was VH1 a game changer for all you guys? Yes. Yeah. Without yeah. A doubt. If you, any anyone who says it wasn't, just being a dick. Yeah. Because I mean, <laughs> no, you know, for, real. You, you for just, me, it was the tuning on the drums thing. Yeah. You because ah, you know, seventies, so seventies drums, you know, they're big and rubbery, right? And yeah, you, yeah of course they go doom, 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 yeah. low, right? But there was not a thing happening. Yeah. And Alex comes from a big band kind of mentality, right? So mm -hmm. then I find out his drums are tuned to the A train, mm -hmm. right? And da -dun -da -dun 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 -dun, you know, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, oh, oh, okay, that is a thing, right? And for me, he hit the cymbal on the right note, right side cymbal with the right side chord. Mm -hmm. And that all became like a musicality to me that I really heard. And of course, Neil Peart as well. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, like getting into that, that record was unbelievable unabashed unapologetic so raw uh, and then and yeah. then uh i want to ask yeah. i want to ask this uh final question before we start taking questions from the crowd which we've always wanted to do at a live show we never get to do That's true, yeah. so we finally get to do it you know why because matt and david weren't here <laughs> yeah, who they are. <laughs> yeah, we we don't have a point of reference for that one. Right That's now. okay. Just they're nice guys. Uh, 
friends. Good friends of ours. Um, oh. <laughs> I'm just not famous enough. That's all it is. It's just me. It's me being a, a doucher. Yeah, but, yeah, but the guy, he's still mad because this guy in the front row who uh, watches Matt and David's show and watches my show and doesn't watch this revolution. <laughs> but, uh, this is, uh, he saw know. me on someone else's show. It's like, oh, I'll come check it out. I'm in the area. <laughs> I'm glad, fucking glad you're here, brother. I'm glad you're here. It's just, you know, it's a family vibe. We fuck with everybody. We, please don't. We haven't gotten to the racial stay. humor yet. Please stay. Uh, but, 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 but seriously, um, you guys were part of a scene that, for me, I talk about on my show all the time. There's a few things I talk about all the time. It's 90s hip hop in the Bay Area because mm-hmm. I was there for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always talk about the Bay Area metal scene because I, as after getting to know you guys as well as I've gotten to know so many of you dudes and and a lot of you guys have been extremely helpful to me from fucking Billy Gould giving me and Cindy microphones when hmm. stuff stuff broke, uh, Ted always giving me something. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Chris. Always giving me some advice, helping. You actually helped put a show on for me and Cindy before. Yeah. So, what I always saw from that scene, to to me, it's, it's to me. You guys might tell a different story. Was a certain amount of camaraderie mm. amongst the people in it. I remember there was a cat. He had played in Testament for a few records. I can't remember his really? name. No. James Murphy. Yes. Yeah, I knew you were going there. And sure. and everybody came down to just say what's up to him at the studio. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was dope that they just heard their boy was in town. I was like, oh, our boy's oh, in dude, town. Let's James go say what's like, up. So he's, he's a shredder, bro. Like real quick, tell me about the height of that scene, and tell me about when you felt that that scene was over, and why do you think that was? I'll take the over part. I'll tell you what. The height? The height. Of the scene? Yeah. Well, how high can it get? Jesus yeah, I, I, I don't see a height There's or no a height. low. I don't think it's ended. A lot of people love to talk about how grunge came in and crushed metal. And then I hear a lot of bands like, oh, man, as soon as Nirvana came out, we were dust. Uh, burn my eyes. Yeah, yeah for happened my, well, listen, the see same year. week. You know what? I get this shit all the so time. So I'm not going to – I don't play into that. I think our culture is one of the strongest music cultures that's ever existed on earth. 100%. Uh, it still is. Doo-wop oh, didn't dude. last as long. Boy bands don't last as long. Uh, anything. That's for real. Uh, anything. We, it, it refuses to die. I was just talking to, to uh, Mike Muir the other day. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about how I had done an interview when they released the 13 album. Mm-hmm. And he, he met a family of five generations of suicidal fans. Jesus. Great-grandpa, grandpa, dad, yep. son, son. Yep. Right? Freaked him out. Like, in the interview, he was visibly, like, vi- like he was tripping the whole interview mm-hmm. on this revelation, Mine's right? You know, Ozfest. You know, you got dad there to see Black Sabbath. You got the daughter to see uh, Devil Wears Prada. (laughs) You got the little son there to see Slipknot. And, you know, down the line to the band out in the parking lot at 9 (laughs) a.m. Who the youngest kids, you know. It's it's relentless, man. Mm Mm-hmm. It doesn't stop. It hasn't stopped. There's been bumps in the road and everything like that. And there there's been, been grunge, you know, you know, was there and it, there was in the early 90s. There was a bump in the road for for thrash. But, uh, there, you know, like for as for Exodus, for example, a force of habit, people people slag on that album all day long. I, I fucking love the album myself. Um, it's guitar mania on that one. It is. But, uh, but the songs the are different. They're not balls out 
you know, 200 BPM mm -hmm. all day long. There's there's grooves on it, you know what I mean? But yeah. I know it's constantly evolving as it should. Please, as it should, or else it's just gonna get stagnant. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and the, the music has got to it's got to evolve. You got to keep moving. You got to keep moving. You know, and, and I, you, I yeah. did, oh, do you want to finish? That well, you thought? just can't be afraid to be different, dude. It's like mm. all these youngsters. I keep telling them. Number one, the most important thing about being in a band is you have to get along with your bandmates. Number two, don't be afraid to be different. You know what I mean? So it's like, dude, it's gone. Well, low points. Your low heart, points bro. in a music scene should only push the creativity and the boundaries. The bands that can't. They might not be cut out for it. Yeah, they get weeded out, man. And I, I, and I just just, just to put a fine point on this, there I I think there's he's right in hindsight. There the lulls aren't really that big of lulls because we all kind of recovered and righted. Some of us reco recovered and righted the ship. Some of us couldn't change. Some of us weren't aware. And there's you know this goes in every directions of, of how to really grow within that and not because you know that's where you get the real lifers that are musicians separated from the guys that just, you know, they were in it for a while and they're fucking out. There's a certain amount of jadedness that happens, jadedness, I should mm -hmm. say, that happens. And I think for me personally, I was, I feel like I was one of the first to fully not be afraid to jump into something different with when starting Man Made God with Matt over there. Mm -hmm. It was completely yeah, left turn and not really, there. and people said, well, you're like this, like well, we weren't. We were trying to do our own thing. And honestly, that could be terrifying. It is terrifying. For real, dude. Because most of your peers are like, bruh, 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 bruh. they don't understand. And then you have the few people that sit back and go, that's fucking great that you're doing that. Right. And, and you're, you're helping start. And then a lot of things follow that. And there's been great moments through every different genre of our fucking scene. But the, the people, the camaraderie. And when we see each other, dude, I tell this all the time. When we see each other, when I see Rick... And I see Chris and I see all my friends that I've seen. There's a thing, an unspoken thing that happens between us because we're survivors. We we don't even have to say it. We look at each other, we're just happy to see each other. Absolutely. People that might not have been that happy to see each other 30 years ago, when you mm -hmm. see each other now, you fucking you're ecstatic because I love that fucking guy. Or I love that mm -hmm. girl. They're they're a part of what we survived. I think we all call it, it respect. Yes, deep respect. <laughs> deep. <laughs> but not every, yeah, which is true. But my point is. Every scene has it to a certain degree, but what Chris said is is right. There's something about the galvanize this scene unlike any other one in the world. You you will not see L.A. fucking glam bands, you know, all chumming it up the same way. You just won't. That have been and together for 34 years. Yes. And with our with our scene, there's a there's a deep admiration and love for one another that I just don't see in New York. Well, it's more in New York maybe than anywhere else. But other Boston or whatever, I could go scene to scene. You just don't see as many people mm -hmm. hanging out together, mm -hmm. doing things together, pulling benefits together, you know, helping each other, fucking picking each other up by their fucking bootstraps. I think you don't only, see it. Only... I'm I met Greg at a benefit for there was a radio DJ. Yeah, Billy Steele. Yeah, and there was a huge benefit. You were, I think you even were, True Heo came down that. for that benefit. Off, I missed that. And that's where no, I met it Greg. Wasn't, it wasn't no, it wasn't Billy's then. No, it was a woman. I think the scene oh, that has yeah, the same camaraderie as the Bay Area is, is, is even comes close is, is Florida. Florida's got a really, mm. really tight scene. Mm. Florida metal's tight. Yeah, it is. They're definitely Scandinavian metal's tight. They love that shit. And they're really, they're all good friends. Yeah, and they're all good. They're all good in their own way. But, uh, you know, here I'm biased. I, 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 I love these guys so much. No, for real. And it's, uh, 
it's a genuine like anytime I it's just my I perk up. I'm like, oh, there's you know, there's so and so. There's where's Harold? There's Harold. You know, like you go down the line and um, and we have something that uh, maybe other people have it in their own version, but I like ours a lot. Well, thank you guys very much. Thank you, man. Now we have we have we have some time. I'm sure people have questions. If you guys don't have questions, I'll be so fucking mad. <laughs> Just make one. Uh, make them word. controversial. Say something. Uh, the weirdo in the back. Oh hey. Uh, What's up? Hey, uh, where did the term poser come from? Ooh. Where did it actually come from? When I met Macamacho, I thought he was a poser, but he wasn't. Culture of authenticity, right? Dude, I'm just going to say Paul Billock. That's all. Paul was... Pause it! Paul was Paul was a he was a little ball of magic energy that I mean get, love him or hate him dude he had some power you know what I mean and that's the whole thing with Paul he was so real and so true to to what he loved that people either hated him or they really really loved the dude because he was so real you know what I mean that's charisma and, baby yeah he, he was had charisma he, and it's so funny Polarizing. because if you ask any girl in the thrash metal scene back in the day in the early 80s in the Ruthie's days what do you think about Paul Bailey I fucking love Paul he's so funny <laughs> that's exactly what they'll say every fucking one he had of a them. sweet side too he, that was dude, really he just, nice all the girls yeah. loved him because they, there was no bullshit with Paul you know what I mean and the whole poser thing was like it, it was a lot deeper than just like hating, hating the hair metal bands and that music. It wasn't really necessary about the music. It was about if you're not there, you don't love this music. You don't belong here. That's what posers is. You know what I mean? It's not about the the hair and the the, the leather and the spandex because we wore fucking spandex. You know what I mean? Um, it was more about you know if you listen to the live album. Uh, when you he, did, the yeah, one he's did. so funny, dude. And he'll just he talks about this, you know. He's like, if you if you're not heavy, you shouldn't be here, bro. You know, what are you doing here? And that's it's more that's what poser is, you know. I and it's a multi-genre. Yeah, well, it, multi. it, to be fair, it really comes from the punk scene, uh, seventy-five through seventy-eight. Probably, yeah. What you have is a lot of <laughs> a lot of clothing wear shops open up in the UK, where the punk look. Was Accessible. You didn't have, to, you didn't have to make it on was your own. Was that like the hot topic of Malcolm? McCain, right? No, Malcolm McLaren. <laughs> Malcolm McLaren. That's Malcolm it. McLaren. So I'm sorry, I saw my gander. So poser punk was a thing where it's like you know the punk in a can kind of thing. Now I will say Rick's right. Posers must die. It's a fucking Bay Area thing based on fuck these L.A. You know glam rock fucking. I'll give you a perfect example. Thing so that's bred across that's crossbred, a bit. Yeah, the very first Pantera album. If you look at the if you look at what they look like, you know what I mean. Vulgar display of poser. Yeah, they were just like they, that was Pantera was the epitome of poser, right? So they're trying to fit in. So well, that's what I'm saying. Whoa. They're trying to fit in. Oh, they're, they're trying to fit in. I'll take it there. No, for real though. But this you is, know, this is the truth.
Love Pantera. We're just going to oh, throw that out there, too. So. No, I'm just being real. Yeah. yeah be. You know, I mean, I, I, anybody always starts talking about Pantera, I always say, um, never forget where you came from. <laughs> it's like, but it's, you know what? I'd rather, joke. I'd rather see a band go from poser to fucking just power like that oh, yeah. than the, the other, other way, way around. around. Yeah, right. No doubt. Right? I don't think it's ever happened the other way around. It has. It has. Oh, plenty of times. How, bands many, bands, have, how many bands have gone from... It was From heavy, heavy metal to, to super commercial. <coughs> Death Angel. Turbo. Damn. Turbo. No, and I'm just gonna say, oh, I love my boys. Shit. Listen, I love my, I love my boys. I love my boys in. I love my boys in Filipino hey, kids, man. Hey, hey oh. I love, I love my boys in Death Angel. But there was a moment there where they closed up shop and they went the way of kind of sexy the organization the oh, the oh. and swarm the oh. all of a sudden it was top hats and goggle girls with dreads and they were trying mark. to make the belly dancer girls go crazy okay. in the front row and you know there was there was a thing to where it got a little posery but, bro but, but okay i love them can to I, death can I, man can i dive happened. into this post hey. hey thanks for the question uh on each member that i don't know I over know. there <laughs> i want to dive into this a little bit further i just i just want to say that I, I think, in my personal opinion, that poser falls into every fucking category of human being and scene in the world. There are posers of every ilk in every kind of, of music, including classical posers. Like, you know, and I was thinking about, the, like, when you say, like, the intent, the intent, oh, uh, Faganini. Like, yeah, but, but, but the intent, uh, that he, like he said, if you don't smell the intent as being real, you are a poser. Whereas when you looked at fucking, you could take a band like Motley Crue, mm -hmm. you can call them posers, but the intent was real. I'm yeah. not a fan, yeah, but I fucking know no, they that, that those shit. dudes lived it. No, so, so I think a poser goes down to the guys in the pit. I think the karate kicking fools, you say if you don't belong. I say those dudes are posers trying to fucking be seen, and they're not being part of the movement, the organiz, the organiz, uh what am I thinking? Yeah, organism. I, I the organism that is fucking moving together. Mm -hmm. There's a there is if you feel that someone is against the grain just to be seen, poser. Yep. There it is Four there. Point taken. Any more questions? You guys are the I you know what? I, I do yeah, a show. I do a what? show. I see, I see a hand. Okay. Let's just go, go to the hand. Who's that? I can't see. Ask the question. I mean, another question about the whole poser thing. You really want to start a fight. Changes, at what point is it just like, well, they just change? And they kind of, like, maybe are trying some different things. Like, it, the whole thing about, like, the Metallica Black Album. Like, you know what I mean? That's where, oh, I know a lot, like, me and a lot of people got off the Metallica train. But when you listen back to it, you're like, but it's a good record. It's a great record. Yeah. It's, it's an awesome record. Metallica is Metallica, bro. I mean, it's yeah. just like they're they're they've been around so long. They they can't stay. They have to change. I mean, they're have they can't write brilliant shit like every fucking song. You know what I mean? You you but know you're that's not, a fact. You know you're you're not gonna. You're not gonna like everything they do, right? I mean, yeah, yeah but the intent, the intent was still there, though, right? No, with that, with that record, right? It's, it's like if, if it smells like it's chasing the money, That's or right. if, if it smells it like we're not gonna be able to do this with this thrash metal, we're not gonna get on MTV unless we poof it up a little bit. That's where it stinks, right? So yeah, the black, right? Elm, the black elm is no. not a poser record, but those first couple load albums. Are verging towards trying to be something. When you pull out feather boas and mascara, 
if you didn't do that years before, you yeah, might be chasing kind of something. A, that's on a. You might be chasing. Yeah, that, that's kind of on the verge. But, we but still, that is true. That is a good question. Yeah, you know, yeah. because yes, you do have well, the right well, as an I'll, artist I'll, to change. Let me up the ante. Uh, Andre three thousand from Outcast. Oh, fucking love him. Not a poser at all. It's too soon. Who said too soon? Why? What happened? Andre. It's Andre 3000 from Outkast. I love Outkast. Has released a new solo record okay. of his flute playing. And the first track off the record is called I Really Wanted to Write a Rap Record for Y'all, But I Wasn't Feeling It or something like that. Okay. And so he's been walking around for the last five or six years. Maybe you've seen pictures of him with a backpack on and a flute. And he just plays his flute. It's like an old flute from the Mesopotamian era. You know what and, happened? But hold on, hold on. He's been walking around with this flute, and people see him. It's like Bill Murray almost. And people take mm. pictures of Andre. So he recorded a record a with like these big-time jazz musicians. And in interviews, I read actually a really good piece about him in The Guardian, where he's just like, I'm 48, and what do you want me to rap about, my colonoscopy? Right. He goes, I don't really have anything to say. Yeah. And I and I want to ask this question. Not a poser. That just comes to, that sounds like that sounds like some brilliant self awareness to yes. me, to right? That sounds like some brilliant self awareness, yeah, right? Because if you're out of shit, you're out of shit. Look, well, let me He's raise you this. He ain't got nothing to say. He wants to play right. the fucking flute. Let, let, let me raise you this. So fresh and so clean. I thought it was interesting. I, I so my our producer, my show my show producer and I, M2 Sant, we're talking about this. We weren't going to do a show around it, but we were having an interesting conversation around it. And I was kind of coming from your guys' perspective of maybe you don't want to be all the time. You know, I did all this heavy music, and then I moved to Mexico, and I listen to the ocean when I go to sleep. So under the same moniker of my band, Bitter Lake, I released all these instrumental uh, projects that are, like, super chill. They're still tuned to drop F sharp, yeah, but uh. it's super chill, right? Um, cause that's the way I was feeling, but my producer raised me this question. She goes, but do you think capitalism has a little bit to do with it? And I was like, in what way? She goes, do you feel that you're so afraid that you won't sell if you made an honest rap record? That's what's going on right now. It has been for the last 10 years. That, that People are so afraid you pivot. that they're going to get, that they're not going to sell albums and they're not going <laughs> to pack shows that they just... They they don't want to they can't change. You know what I think right. the defective I, I word here. Earlier. The defective word in this whole conversation right now is the word sell. No one is selling shit. Yeah. People are streaming. stealing and streaming shit, right? That's Baby. something that you know that I'll probably take well, heat for. No, but, but for, in, in, on the like, real, we're not big Lars, fans anyway. Lars, dude. well, dude, that's not true. I mean, we were at one point. Yeah, at one point, dude, there was some money to be made if you sold back five hundred and fifty thousand <laughs> copies of a record of back course. in the day, the way yeah. it was structured. Of You're course. making some money now. Yeah. You get you still, fifteen dollars for nine hundred. There's a, there's an Oakland. Well, here, I'll, to your point, Chris. There's an Oakland artist named. She's a rapper, and she she got some media attention recently. Maybe you guys read about this. Her name is Crayshawn. Mm-hmm. Um, did you say ew? No, I did not. Oh. I did. I did. Uh, anyway, she had an album in like 2012, and it had finally went platinum. And she had put a Twitter post out. She said, please don't buy my record because I don't make any money off it. She goes, I owe the record mm -hmm. company $700,000. Mm -hmm. And she sort of screenshot 
of how much she owed because she signed an old deal mm -hmm. where you were still getting paid off jukebox spins and there's no more terrestrial oh, radio. Mm -hmm. She was already a thing in the streaming world, but her deal was so old she got no streaming royalties. Mm -hmm. So she's like, I don't get any money off the streaming. I don't get any money off physical sales because I, I, because I, I'm so far in the hole. Mm -hmm. But I, it's 1,500 streams for one album sold. Yeah. 1,500 streams for an album sold. Spotify's Spotify has just... to like a tenth of a penny. So hold on, listen to this. Spotify has just come out and said, if you don't have 1,000 spins, because these don't get stored in a magical cloud. There's right. actual there's computers, space. and there's space that's being taken up, and on. it costs millions of dollars. They're losing money rapidly. So Spotify said, if you don't have a 1,000 spins... We're not. You're we're not going to get anything. Man. You're not going. We're not going to pay you any royalties. They said maybe we're going to roll this out in 2024. This woman had so many spins that she sold a mil, sold a million copies from these spins. Hmm. Cool. That's there, awesome. There's a. Do you think there's this odd? I'm going to add to the to the thing. Do you think there's an odd disconnect? And I asked this question to all of you too because there's various age ranges in the in the audience. Do you think there's a disconnect between actually going and buying physical music and listening to a record while you clean your house, whatever the fuck walk to school, whatever the fuck you do, or just having the history of recorded music in your pocket? Yeah. Or yeah. just a playlist? Yeah, 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 yeah of course. We, does it does it change the way you're connected to the art? That's almost a rhetorical question because yeah. Like, yeah. I know how it affected I know how yeah. it affected me when I was a kid holding a gatefold. Yeah. And Smelling reading the it. liner notes and that tangible. Well, that's why touching. vinyl's so popular right now. It's because it's more popular than CDs. I love vinyl. You know. You know what? what? I want to get I want to get back to my man here. He had a question before we bounced oh, over. Sir. Oh, okay. Get back. <laughs> Keep bouncing no, around, no, no, bouncing no, no, around, no. whatever you want. So, see, I've, I've just been sitting here feeling all sad about the uh, the way that I actually used to feel if I brought home like a CD and, talked about it and listened to it. So your CDs, like that. your CDs. Yeah, so. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and like how, uh, you know, I guess tapes at one point, but yeah, they have a uh, um, vinyl only as like an affectation. I never did that organically, you know. But uh, yeah. In, um, but like how uh, yeah like you would, that was like because it was a thing you just spent money on it and you're just like you've got an object and you know you've you got to take care of it yeah and like you have right to, and like and it's a thing it's like oh I just got this now I'm gonna listen to it it's like a little mini event and you get there and read all the little stuff yeah, inside yeah, and you're turn it over the special things and all this other stuff while you're listening to it. And it makes me so sad that that doesn't. So whatever you can ask about politics, is, like, is actually going to be improvement. So, <laughs> yeah, please go. Can you come back to what Jason said about how '84 was the big, the big shift? And mm -hmm. you know, I didn't live in the Bay Area in '84, but like lots of my friends were like anarcho punk organizers. And the DNC, the Democratic National Convention, mm -hmm. was like a big moment for them. I was there. In the Bay Area, and like Feinstein's moment, and all that shit. And I'm just kind of curious. I can't well, it had a massive impact in the you punk there, scene right? yeah. you, because we were all of a sudden all there, uh, not just, you know, to be there, but also to really be square with the, the, the problems at hand and the demonstrations, much, you know, much like 
any other that had happened in the Bay Area or going up against the KKK or Nazi groups or whatever, there was a tangible fucking togetherness there. Uh, no business as usual. You know, when that happened, uh, that was the first, you know, that was the original Occupy. You know, um, breaking shit, stopping shit, not just busting open the windows of Miller Outpost, Miller's Outpost, or getting, uh, you know, shoe locker. Well, we went to banks. You know what I mean? We get we, the source. We, we attack source, right? Exactly. And so that's something that's kind of lost in the fray, you know, with like, like you know, Antifa, right? I never had to wear a mask to knock out a Nazi, right? <laughs> but I definitely understand why a kid is going into Foot Locker or breaking open a window to a coffee shop downtown Oakland's got a mask on, right? There's something fucking inherently wrong in the approach, and right? And caught on video. And camera. yeah, and like I don't, I don't care if I got caught on video tipping over a cop car at the That's DNC. That's what it's all about, right? You know? <laughs> um, so, and also with the punk scene, you like, you had spokespeople like Jello was really, really God, huge he was, in the still beginning. still is. And yeah. he was like, he was kind of like the, the in the Bay Area, the, 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 in the punk scene, he was like the, the leader, like he was the, the, the mouth of the whole scene. And he, he was very political and very, he was smart, dude. Really, really, very, very, and Dave really, MDC really, too. Yeah, really, really I think he ran for dude. mayor around that so time, did, right? So yeah. the, yeah. Scene, yeah. the metal scene. Our spokesperson was Paul Bailoff. So it's like you know, it's a, it's a little different there. <laughs> yeah. Can I? You know, I, th this this segues to something I want to roll back to because this is great. Because you were talking about 2010, right? Mm -hmm. So we had the Occupy movement. I I actually went boots on the ground with a video camera. And a, a guy with me filming the whole thing, and I did this show called the Omega Wave Show at the time. And my whole uh, mo for walking in there is, I'm hearing there's no leader. I'm hearing this is a leaderless movement. Mm -hmm. What's your end game? Who really? I'm like, so like everybody. I'll talk to the rabbi. I'll talk to this guy. Who's really the leader here? And they would all just kind of backpedal into a mishmash of no real organization other. Or, or plan other than we're not, you know, I mean, they didn't want to say it, but the difference is, again, I don't want to call them posers because they weren't, they, they certainly thought they were fucking doing something, but when you don't really have an end game or a plan, you get things like that, which was the uh, liberal version of, of like trying to make a change and trying to do something and and really not having the fucking balls or the vision to see it through. And then you go to January 6th, 2020, and you've got the literally the opposite end of the spectrum, the uneducated internet fucking news-driven YouTube fucking morons. You leave my fans alone. But what you have is, 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 is the intents have changed so much, and nobody really, not nobody, but very few understand the greater... It's hard to understand, you know, that it's a lane outside of our lane. It's hard to understand this. So like, I watched, you know, with, with January 6th, I just want to finish this thought because 84, you knew what you were fucking fighting against and you knew to go break in the bank and you knew to flip over the fucking cop car because you were specific. Then it turned into fucking Miller's Outpost stores and, you know, then it turned into, you know, we're just going to fucking rage against... Oh my God, the fucking, you know, pedophile Democrats, like made up shit on the internet. So we've literally, the internet has made people that much more ignorant by learning 
that much more information that they can't prove to be true, but they believe it. Yeah, the more we tech up, no the more we dumb down. Anyone right? can prove okay. most of what they see on the internet other than what their followed sources on the internet to back up what they believe on the internet is what they believe. And that is where I got the disconnect where I was like, okay. And yeah, that's kind of like when Matt goes crazy with Bill. <laughs> yeah, there's always going to be so. And you know what? I prove it, motherfucker. Send me some I, proof, I, I bro. Had, I like, had plenty of that. Shut up, there's Bill. A, there's a disconnect Fuck. now. Like, like, shut I mean, I love you, Bill. Come on, but like, you, like, you shut up. Point, though, right? I mean, it's like this is where aesthetics and politics do come apart here because mm. in, um, you know, if you, you know, think about Occupy, it's like, all right, they're mad about a lot of the right things. They're mad about a lot of things you should be mad about. But um, nothing, as far as I can have ever been able to tell, actually came out of it. No. There was no there was no yeah. plan, and it was proven yeah. throughout a day of just literally trying to talk. I talked to probably 30 fucking people that day that were – all brought to me this one's this one's really high up on the food chain this one over here this one over here and i got good interviews that told me nothing yeah i mean if you think there's about, nothing going on I mean, if you think about movements that have actually meaningfully accomplished things you know the labor movement you know why we have uh why we have a 40-hour week with weekends you know the uh, civil rights movement why we don't have segregated drinking fountains right these are things that had uh, identifiable leaders. Well, they had unity, and, and they had yeah. powers and yeah. numbers. Demands, right. Explain the demands to you. Yeah. Uh, people who can make discipline. <laughs> there was a discipline. discipline. There yeah. you go. That, that's, that's a word that I think is lost also, too, is discipline. And passion. Is, is, passion, you know, focus, discipline, passion, yeah. a, a fucking plan. Just have a fucking plan and follow through with the discipline to do but it. But what if your plan is just the demonstration? Well, that's good for you. But you can't expect it. Do you mean you just can't to be expect disruptive and go break shit? Well, like yeah. you did on the bridge yesterday. Maybe you don't have to break shit. Maybe your whole plan is to like, to, you know, just to, to to say we're trying to bring awareness to something. I'm asking a question. There, I'm right. not I don't saying think there's anything right. wrong with that. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Result. But is it going to cause? Is it going to cause change though? <laughs> no. So change. This is, yeah. I think that honestly, each individual in this room, the only reason way that we can honestly change anything is by being as good as we possibly can be ourselves. You know, I don't think that it's gonna, like the civil rights, I don't think there's ever gonna be something like that again, dude. There's just, people are just way too much all over the place. There's no- That's the thing, is that everybody's all over the they're place. They're all over the place. Yeah, the but, people, but... they just don't. And that's exactly where, that's where they want us, period. But do you that's think- That's where they want us. Do you think there's an imagined vision of what that movement was it's like so for example if you think the civil rights movement exists in a vacuum of uh some protest signs in 1963 and then the civil rights bill right hmm. which if you read about the civil rights movement was like kind of a point of contention for a lot of people within the movement because they were like this isn't enough you know, next week or in two weeks, mm -hmm. I'm talking to the woman that wrote the biography on Bayard Rustin, who literally organized mm -hmm. the civil yeah. rights, that, that march on Washington. Mm -hmm. And that was a, a, a huge point of contention that this was capitul capitulation. But again, when you have a larger movement and you have to have political allies, like, let's be honest. Look, I, I talk shit on the Internet. I do have to read a lot. But I don't have to make friends with people in office. I don't have to mm. know congressmen and city council people. There's to a compromise. Make sure. well, so there's, you get there's a compromise. This is, this is where that, like, the whole Occupy thing. Yeah. Oh, no leaders and nobody can explain exactly what the demands are that you want. It's like, no, I mean, 
what you're describing, a process where like some people are mad at something because they think it's a capitulation. Yeah. But there are actually people who are in a position to say, okay, you know what? We're going to make that deal. You know, here's the here's the specific thing we're going to do. I mean, you know, that's it's boring, uh, but like that is how actual politics works. Mm -hmm. you, you actually want to accomplish something. Yes, you need leaders, whether we want to admit it or not. There's got to be people at the highest levels that somebody that you can look to as and you hope they don't disappoint you, but they always do because they're a politician. They made a compromise. There, there's a there's a cycle that happens. Power Once, hungry, dude. They, yeah. I mean, there are people with good intentions, and we know this. And you get in, and your intentions have to be compromised to get a deal done. And then a what? Oh, God, yeah, I guess I'm just a human being after all. It's like there's this. It, not. To, I don't want to sound hopeless at all because I think what Rick said is fucking brilliant. You got to be the best within yourself. And, That's where it starts. And, and be in a lane Period. where you're doing good in your lane. And if you want to be, and Chris and I have talked about this. And if you've got this, kids, spread that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? If you and, want and to be a revolutionary, be one. It's not going to happen overnight, bro. But, but you... That's what you, it's not a hobby. It's John not like a hobby. Said it perfect, you know? bro. Mm. Love is all we need, baby. Love I mean, is all th we need. there's, there's people, <laughs> there's, there's a fact. Who said that? <laughs> I mean, there's, You're there's, a hero. I, I do want to say this. There's people in this room that I know on a personal level that work with very vulnerable populations. And I think as someone that's done that for a time in my life, it's one of the hardest, most kind of, unrelentingly depressing non-thankful work mm -hmm. uh, what population are you talking about the homeless the unhoused drug addicted yeah. homeless I people can't I've been both. I, I can't uh, yeah. it's I've it's both. it's it's a it's a it's, job that and these people know this when you say what you do some people go why <laughs> or they look at you like like uh you 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 have some sort of uh, disorder um so but but to see exactly? but to see but what I'm trying to say is to see these people do this every day it's it's almost like Sisyphus you're pushing a rock up 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 this hill that that's never going to go so anywhere. So when you try to help a homeless person, what is it that you do? Why is it that you do? No, it? what is it that you do? What what's the first step that you would do to, to help a so? Yeah, it depends on the context, you know. Yeah, my my first thing is my I'm listening to you to see what you need, and I'm trying to get what you need as best I can with within the grounds of what i can do well, because you're also ten of them are going to be addicted to some kind of oh drug. definitely okay yeah, oh, but, yeah. that's, so, but you know yeah, but yeah. that's also there's... systemic to the pain of yeah. being so homeless that's what, right that's my yeah. next thing it's, it's a cascading it's like, it's, yeah. it's like there's a deeper issue than the drug addiction it's like personal issues that they're trying to self-medicate for um so you have to get really it's so involved dude it's like and they get and they get to the point of hopelessness where they just fuck it that throw their hands up. Yeah. I'm living right here. The dope man is right down the street. No problem. Leave me alone. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? No, yeah. And it's like, you know, if I was homeless, I would go to the mountains. I'd have a gun and I'd feed myself. You know what I'm saying? And just, right. But that ingenuity that and that mindset leads to not being homeless in the first place. Right. Like it's like saying, you're oh, you're oh homeless if I was homeless, I would steal a whole bunch of plywood yeah. and go get carpet yeah. and all that stuff. But <laughs> you know what I mean? Putting plywood. those putting those dots together. Right. Yeah. Children. Right. Yeah. You know, that leads to not out of my head. Like, look, my my bike team, my BMX bike team, we worked a lot with homeless in Oakland. Right. And we what we found out was that we were in, encountering a lot of Southern accents, right? And I'm like, what are you, where are you all from? Like, where are you from? Oh, we're, we're displaced from Katrina, right? Oh, On the FEMA vouchers that ran out, right? Houston, we, Louisiana. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mississippi, right? Louisiana, right? They were sent to Dallas. They were sent to Seattle. They were sent to San Francisco. They were sent to Chicago, right? And then the FEMA vouchers run out. And Halliburton bought everything mm-hmm. in Louisiana, right? Mm-hmm. You know the shell mound in uh, Albany? Mm-hmm. You know, it's an actual shell mound from the Indians, right? So what they have now in the lower wards are house mounds where so many houses have been pushed into a pile. Now they're just covered in grass and vines and dirt. Mm. And there'll be archaeological digs mm. someday, yeah. right? Because they didn't build back anything mm-hmm. for anybody to go back to, mm-hmm. right? Now more and more increasingly we're finding the six years of fires have a lot of people down here homeless. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people up in those beautiful areas in, the in you know, everybody wants to say, oh, the high country and all this. Da, da, da. Yeah, you had a lot of dangling ass motherfuckers holding on to grandma's house. Yeah. Barely. Yeah. You know, poverty level up there. Yeah. And then house gone, we gone. Yeah. You know, and that's why you see a lot of the yeah. the RV situation, yeah. right? Uh, people came down yeah. with the RV that didn't burn up. Yeah. You know, so you're finding like we're still we're still stuck on bum, right? Uh, it's not that far. mentality, it's you know what bum. I mean? Mm-hmm. And before we get clear on calling people bums, mm-hmm. we're already trying to change the word homeless. Mm-hmm. What is it now? Simplified. Unhoused. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's I, change. I let's, love that. Let's spend the next hundred years coming up with euphemisms and still. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, can, can we just? You know, like that's dude, like how we, you know, we, we could talk about this for a year. Yeah. And a half, oh, of course, of course. I, I just want to say, but like people don't want to be told why they're homeless. They want water in a jug, yeah. right? And they want a sandwich. Stop talking about why people are homeless and go out there and do something about it, right? I came up with the idea to put together women's packs. Mm-hmm. Right, because everybody's out there giving out this, that, the other thing, but nobody's thinking about special needs of women mm-hmm. who need other shit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And they need other stuff to make them, to give themselves value and dignity back. Well, that's you know what I mean? Because dirty ass men just need some. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They can just be dirty ass the, men. The needs are different. You know, yeah. needs are needs are different, right? So you just got to put together the systematic thing and like the drug and alcohol issue with people just throw on the homeless. You know, yes, there are a lot of fentanyl and meth addicts hiding in the homeless community because they give up and they couldn't get a lease on a house anyways. No. So they're hiding in that community, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the stolen bike issue, the expanding, I mean, back in the day, it was a cardboard box and maybe a plastic bag over a, uh, a city vent yeah. for some heat, right? But now there's almost like a revolt going on where it's like, this is my house, I've got pallets and tons yeah. of shit and I'm expanding, I'm expanding. That's new. That's mm-hmm. new to the homeless situation, right? Almost favela-like. Because yeah. if you the travel the world and you see homeless populations in Argentina, in South America, yeah. right? You, you see the favela thing is, a, is, is, an, is an expansion on what we're kind of dealing with now, too, with these long-ass blocks taken over by, first it was pop-ups mm-hmm. with sides, and then it was... A fence, and then it was a yard, and that's all part of the American dream is to have the house, right? Dude. And the property. I own this little spot. First time My I spot. got off the plane in Brazil. You know, and so. Oh, Brazil. The, oh. Yeah, exactly. Or Spain. Or Spain. You know, you see that. But it, it is, it is, it is through like communal actions, right? That it we is can, through that we can try yes. to get together. Yes. Well, you know what it really takes, dude, is true selflessness, which so few of us possessed to the level of where you're just doing it for them and you're not doing it yeah, for yourself. You yeah. can't give so the ungrateful fucking that, part of it, that much power, dude. You, you know, you, you, you don't need You don't necessarily need to hear thank you or anything. You you're, and I'm not that person. I'm not that. I, I wish I was, I wish I had that in my, my blood and my bones to, to be that selfish, to constantly be out there to fucking nurture people that really aren't even acknowledging you. 
because they they they're so down and out that they don't have any kind of real connection to like you really trying to help them. Very, I mean, a few do, but with all the problems, it's like they're down. They are so broken. Society, not just here in America, but all over the world, is broken in segments. And you need an army of selfless people to do selfless acts every day to even make a dent. And not to be, again, yeah, I sound like I'm being negative. Well, I want to clap I'm it up so for the selfless people that are here right now. I won't say who they are, but they're, they're wonderful people that I know what they deal with on a daily basis because I was punk-ass Jason every day for a while. Go ask punk-ass Jason. Last question. Massive. A few months ago, actually. Yep. Um, and I, I went to some of the picket lines. And, uh, it Dope. Was really inspiring. And um, they stopped, they stopped like 10 schools from getting closed. Mm. That's galvanization. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I know people who have, like, kind of, like, changed their lives around to, like, become teachers, like, become nurses, to, like, strengthen, like, the things that could be involved in those unions because they have, like, leverage in society and um, you know like our public schools are like really important and um, very you know it's, it's kind of sad we just like lost one of the last ones to the Carter candidate in um, in those kind of schools like the Carter ones were more like really strong in those ones um you know, but but that's because of the failure of institutions, yeah. right? If if we don't if we don't have the failure of public institutions, you don't have the rise of things like charter schools. Right. Do I think labor is important? I think labor is extremely important, especially in a moment right now where a lot of us are seeing the failure of institutions, and it's just real <laughs> easy to say f a politician. It's easy because the power does come in labor. That's the one thing that we have is our collective ability to shut shit down. Like, really shut shit down, right? I was with a friend who was part of the organization for the 2003 protest, the biggest protest the world's ever known in 2003. And I asked him, I said, what, what happened? And shit happened. Why, why did he? And he looked at me, he said, and he was one of the organizers. So we just were living to this day. And he goes, man, we didn't have any labor unions with us. Mm -hmm. We couldn't have a general strike. We didn't have any politicians that we were aligned with. And you know what power did? They waited. They said, they'll go home. They play and, a long and, game. And they and everybody went home. And what happened when everybody went home? You know what I mean? So when we Back think the about norm. the power of labor and we think about what we're seeing, not just with Starbucks unions, what we're seeing with teachers unions in places like Oakland and Los Angeles, some of the largest school districts, but we also have to ask ourselves this question that doesn't really get brought up that much. Why are these school districts shrinking in size? Why are these people living, leaving these major metropolitan areas? A, because they can't afford it. That's the housing problem, right? B, there's better schools in the hinterlands. Now we have hinterland ghettos. I've been, the last time I went to Concord, I saw homeless encampments on the side of the freeway in a, in a suburb. So we have hinterland ghettos. This is the Mad Max future that we have. The, the one hope that I have is that A, I have, you know, really cool kids that I think could possibly be <laughs> part of the solution. Part, part of the part solution, of the problem, yeah. but also bigger than that, I see the power in labor. Yeah. We talk about it all the time, yeah. um, and I see people kind of waking up to the fact that, oh no, fuck, we are going to unionize this shit. I mean, don't just look to Hollywood. 
because that's what happens too much. Sometimes we just look at Hollywood and what Hollywood does. No, let's look at what the rank and file are doing. Although, mm. while we're talking about fucking Hollywood, um, you know, I live in a city that hasn't gotten a lot of love from this panel. <laughs> 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 and, uh, and we have Did just... Did you Hollywood? Uh, I did. Just seen... Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, that was mostly about Glenn, Dad. He's fine. But we've just seen... The um, Writers Guild of America and Screen Actors Guild, and you know, people always think of the sort of wealthiest, most successful members of these. But like, no. who you should be thinking of as the average person who's benefiting from this isn't like somebody whose name you've heard of. It's a uh, extra who just wants to stay in her apartment. Yeah. 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 Can I just say our our, our our bass player in the Boneless Ones is an editor, uh, and, and he's you know be considered a Hollywood editor, successful. Troy Takaki. He Troy Takaki. He did nothing for months, so he had plenty of time to devote to uh, Boneless Ones. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean it affects everybody, and when and I think the but he key, was strong in the negotiation phase. Yeah, he probably was. I would imagine he was yeah. very organized because he is. Cloud. He's a mentor for people. But Boy, but a galvanization, I think, is the bottom line. And you guys uh, in in the teachers unions there must have galvanized pretty well, you know, like uh, between all the teachers. And uh, I think what is the le- what's the lesson here? If you don't have real leaders, even within anarchy, so to speak, yeah. you've got to. If people, because you know what, human beings look towards a north star, and they're always looking for somebody to lead, and whether they admit it or not. You're, you're you're looking over your shoulder. Who are you gonna ask? You know, there's a fuck, there's a war over there. We gotta fight these guys. Who's gonna fucking organize that? Like, is, we'll just all do it together. That's not how it works. Yeah, good luck with that. So you gotta, <laughs> so you, yeah, you gotta the you gotta have hurt. a gen, you gotta have a general and you gotta have everyone else working together. So even in, if we hate uh, the idea of leaders and we hate the idea of uh, real true um, democracy, you know, figuring these sorts of things out or you gotta fucking have to figure it out one way or another. Republic, democracy, communism, socialism doesn't fucking matter. They all have leaders. You just better hope your leader is a good, good well, fucking no, person. I, I mean, so we, I was yeah. gonna say though. I mean, it's like this is. I, I do really want to like circle and underline something Jason said a minute ago because I think it's important. Because this is the one thing that should give you hope. I mean, we were talking about the civil rights movement earlier, and um, part of what's lost in the narrative of people hold like waving some signs and then there's the civil rights act and then you're done is that, um, you know, if you ever actually, like, look at pictures of those signs, right, that uh, they all have UAW yep. on the bottom of oh, them. So that's, who printed, that's who printed out all those signs yep. for the uh, March on Washington and organized the buses. And, you know, everything... Sponsorship. Yeah, everything that is... Uh, everything that, like, basically, politically, everything good that's ever happened is somewhere downstream of ordinary people using, as Jason said, the one power that they actually have, which is their ability to get together and, and withhold their labor yep. and get stuff out of it. I mean, so like in that writers and actors strike, uh, that was the, uh, the, you know, people think about it this as if like, oh, that's a strike against the studios. And they're thinking about like, I don't know, some like incredibly dated image of like a guy in a suit chomping a cigar or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but no, they're, they're like these streaming platforms uh, who are the people on the other side of that table are like the biggest tech companies on yep. the planet. 
uh, and they lost, right? They had to give them a bunch. Yep. The, uh, the, the UAW, uh, they just did the stand-up strike. Uh, all three of the big three auto companies yep. ended up coming to the table and making all of these, uh, all of these concessions. You talked about the teachers, uh, you know, like UPS drivers. Mm -hmm. uh, they didn't end up actually going out, but like they just got, like, you know, by making an effective threat to do so. I mean, they just got such a good contract that, like, I know lots of people are like, God damn, maybe I should maybe. Yeah, yeah, like hundred and fifty dollars <laughs> an hour. But but that but that's the that's the power of like organized labor. So to your point about organized labor, I think it's extremely important. I I do think we're just now kind of waking up to that, yeah. the, the its importance. So you organize know, we, anything. Yeah. Fucking organize, you know, uh, like just willy nilly all over the place just ain't gonna get it done anymore, and it probably never got it done. You know, the cavemen organized. Like everybody figured out eventually, you know, societies organize or they fall apart. The Romans were organized until they weren't, you know. There's there's a there's an organizer. The thing you said about metal and the you know I want to go back and listen to uh, uh, you know that Satan and No War thing. It's like oh, <laughs> Satan and No War. No, <laughs> it's Metallica, nuclear dude. War. Nuclear, no, Satan and Nuclear War. Well, but yeah, no, that's. Uh, anyway, makes me want to go home and listen to some of those. Well, look, please we're gonna do. Well, look, I want to I want to thank these guys up here. I want to thank you guys for coming out. I'm gonna be sitting here chilling for a while, and uh, let's fucking hang out. Nice. Yeah. All right, thank you guys. Yeah, Hell yeah, yeah. Thank, thank you, you man. Well, there you have it, folks. That was my first time watching that thing. I didn't, I haven't uh, watched it since I was there. And huge shout out to Greg and Stephanie Day for putting that all together, getting all those guys in the room. Greg had just got off tour with Craig and and Chris. Um, he had done, I think, a European run with them. They were doing some European festivals. And when I had this idea, he immediately went to those dudes and said, hey, Jason has this uh, this book thing coming out. And then they they immediately said, you know, we can't do this without Rick. There was more people that were supposed to be there, too, that, that couldn't make it. Um, so uh, definitely want to do something like this again. Don't know what the topic would be. Um, but, you know, going up to that room. Is, is always fun being able to guitars. No one knew whose guitars those were, huh? No one knew. Leave it in the comments if you know whose guitars those are. Um, so if you are coming on late, I see there's, there's a lot more people watching now. Go back and check out the show. We played the video, the professionally shot video, the multiple camera angled professionally lit video of the book launch that we did in Fairfield, California. I guess it was two months ago for I Was a Teenage Anarchist uh, mini book that came out on Everyday Analysis. Wherever you're watching or listening to this episode, there should be a link in the description to purchase the second edition, which is out now, which Alfie told me is going to look so much better than the first edition. Uh, Midi Doctor says, thank you. Thank you. Um, Jason too poor to own some of those guitars. Uh, those, I think were all gifts to Greg. 
So like Rob Flynn from Machine Heads guitar is there. I know Tim Armstrong from Rancid gave him a guitar. Um, who else has a guitar up there on their wall? You guys would know. I, oh, uh, Gary Holt from Slayer. His signature model is up there. Um, no, I I had most of my guitars. If I bought them, I found crazy cheap deals. And there's a certain, if you're a guitar person, there's a certain pickups that I play with called EMGs. They're, I won't get into what they are, but um, because Greg works for all these big time bands, a lot of these guys always switch out their EMGs. So Greg will give me their old EMGs. So I have guitars with like Kerry King's old EMGs, Rob Flynn's old EMGs. Uh, uh, Lars Fredrickson had some EMGs switched out. So I have, I have definitely some quote-unquote famous people stuff uh also living in the studio uh, i was very I, I said it on the on the show those guys on the stage and and more people from that uh, 80s metal and punk scene extremely extremely helpful i remember we were recording uh an album my ex and i we had a group called le fin absolute du monde we were recording our album clarity amongst the rubble we were almost done with it and our microphone our vocal mic broke and we were so bummed and as i was walking in the hallway i ran into billy gould from faith no more and he saw me he goes jay how was tour because we were recording this record we were we were homeless part of the time we were recording it so we were recording it in different places wherever we could get decent acoustic sound and uh I was like, oh man, you know, tour was cool, but uh, our mic broke. And he goes, hold on. And he runs in the studio and he you know, gives us the mic, you know, the you know, patent things. Gives it to me. He's like, oh, we're going to Japan. Keep it, finish your album. You know, stuff like that, you know, happened, happened quite often in the, in the studio where if you needed anything, even sometimes like advice, you know, or, or Chris Contos, you know, put a show together. We were leaving for tour. Chris was like, "Were well, you doing a Bay Area show first? We're like, no. I think I can't remember where our first show was, maybe like Portland or something. I was like, no, nah, dude, you're going to do a Bay. We're going to call people up. Chris got smoke machines for us and all kind of backdrop stuff and called everybody. And we did a like a secret show at the, at the studio in the stage room. So it, it's, it's, a, it's a bittersweet situation, you know, living there. It's definitely not a place you want to live. By stretch of the imagination, it's one thing to rehearse there. I work there. I live there. Um, so, but I got to meet some amazing people through that through that place, and some of them you got to see on stage. Definitely, I met Greg through that place, who's helped me tremendously. As we, as I was leaving, actually, his house that night or the next day, because me and Ben stayed there. I had been whining to him that I couldn't find picks in Mexico and I had lost I had all these picks from how did I get them I had a, I have a string deal and I think I got them from the string deal I couldn't find them I can't find them I was like dude I, I had all these picks I lost them I don't have any picks I try to get picks in Mexico they don't have the picks that I use and he goes oh man it's a bummer you know change the conversation do more stuff and as I'm leaving he gives me this huge thing that techs have of different picks and in there are james hetfield's picks like his actual picks so i was like oh dude you're, you're the you're the most awesome person so the most the, the most recent thing i just recorded uh under the bitter lake moniker 
Black Christmas Volume 3, Tears in the Rain, right? Based off of that Rutger Hauer line in Blade Runner. The original title was um, Blade Runner is the Present. Um, I did on my James Hetfield pick, so hopefully I channeled the spirit of chunky, crunchy stuff on that very weird recording. That's that's how now it's on Spotify. And I saw some people asking about Spotify and, and look, there was no terrestrial radio. And before streaming services were everywhere, you would have the only way I would have been able to get that out to you is if I had like some sort of weird mailing list and you and I'd sent you a physical copy of something or sent you an MP three or but I was never going to make radio money. So, and I don't have that many people that you know spin our stuff on Spotify. So, but it's out there, and I'm really excited about it <laughs> for no good reason. Um, we will be back tomorrow. I don't know how many people will be joining us tomorrow, but we will, I won't be by myself. We'll do a New Year's Eve show. We haven't done a New Year's Eve show in about three years. The last one we did was. My most favorite, it was me, Pascal, Teray, and Cedric, and I think that was like three hours. So much fun. Don't think I'll be able to get that same group of people together. I did talk to Pascal uh, recently. He's feeling better, but he agreed he is taking his sweet time. You know, it's good, especially when you do this kind of work, to have some silence as you try to recuperate. Um, we'll be doing, uh, we'll be, we'll be doing the show tomorrow at, I'm going to start at eight o'clock Pacific time. So I won't have to go after the East coast people so we can celebrate new years with the East coast people. Hopefully Tucson, I hope she doesn't like chicken out and not join me, but if Tucson joins assume that we won't be able to hear anything she has to say with all the gunshots in her neighborhood. I mean, the ambulance is always driving by on a regular day. So what's New Year's going to sound like? But thank you guys. Again, if you have any comments, you want to see more stuff uh, like this, Ben and I definitely had a long talk. Greg wants to do more stuff like this. He started naming so many more musicians that that, uh, wanted to be a part of this kind of stuff. Um, I think it would be a lot of fun to do. Maybe once every other month. I don't know if we could definitely do once a month i think every other month we could make a real fun thing um that being said you guys have a good rest of your day and i guess i guess let's leave let's leave on that happy note uh we hold on how do i do it how do i do it? it's been so long we are Ouch.